As I noted yesterday, the interest rate swap market had sent a major monetary warning. Friday and Monday, a big drop in spreads, which suggested something going on with balance sheet constraints among dealers, as well as perhaps negative collateral considerations. And yesterday, while I was talking recording that video, the four-week Treasury bill yield absolutely plummeted again in the same fashion as it has repeatedly since mid-March in during the U.S. regular day session, during regular trading hours. From morning into the early afternoon, the, th the four-week Treasury bill yield plummeted by more than 30 basis points, which is consistent with the type of severe collateral run that has become way too frequent since the middle of March, reminding us that the monetary system is not well, even though financial turmoil, as it's defined in the mainstream, seems to be out of the news. I mean, most people define financial turmoil in terms of stocks, and we see great monetary turmoil. So swap spreads had warned about stuff going on in the collateral markets. Then yesterday, we've got a major collateral run, which is consistent with that warning. And, by, and there's one more, too. On Monday and again yesterday, Japanese government bond yields, another pretty solid collateral indication. Those, the three-month government bond yield in Japan, government bill yield, excuse me, that one dropped precipitously too, to, a, to a, a new low that we haven't seen in a very long time as well. Major global collateral pressures, widespread monetary difficulties, not all as well in the monetary system, even if financial turmoil isn't as ever-present or obvious as it had been a few weeks ago. At the same time, we also have another component, component to, take, to, to pay attention to, and that's the global economy. What is the global economy doing? Well, we got some information today, U.S. CPI, which is really important, including one part of the CPI that the Federal Reserve watches very closely, which again suggests all is not well in the economy. We've got bad money. We've got no financial turmoil, but prospect for further financial turmoil in the, in the future. We've got the bad economy and all of that together, the credit crunch, which makes it even worse. So there's a lot to go over today, starting with collateral, ending with the CPI, and in between all the stuff of the 2008 style scenario. But first, I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, I have Eurodollar University memberships available. I put up the recent, and the, the most recent episode of the basic series number five, where we talk about how important the price of money is, leading us into number six, which will be about how do we tell what the price of money is. Memberships available at Eurodollar.University. I also have research subscriptions, a daily briefing I do, partnership with MarketsInsiderPro.com. That's Stephen Van Meter, Tracy Shukart. There's a bundle available for you there. And my daily deep, uh, deep dive analysis at the Eurodollar University website, which is conveniently located at the address Eurodollar.University. Check that out for all the information there. Yesterday, Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby gave a speech, as these Fed presidents do, in light of, well, not really in light of the market turmoil, the monetary turmoil that we talk about, but really recognizing that there are challenges remaining in the monetary system, the banking system, that's what they pay attention to, after the events in mid-March, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature, and Credit Suisse, which Credit Suisse is an important one to remember because 
many people have focused on the regional bank aspect of what's going on and forgetting Credit Suisse is not a U.S. regional bank. There's a global aspect of it, which again, the swaps warning, swaps warning we got just this week, as well as another massive global collateral run. Those are not good signs. Those don't correlate with good things. So Austin Goolsby was talking about how in his first two Fed meetings, he's newly installed as Chicago Fed president, he got to vote for two rate hikes in a row which, as he said, it took his predecessor, Mr. Evans, eight years, I think it was, to get to the same number. Obviously, he's trying to highlight that the fact that the Fed, the situation the Fed finds itself in in 2023 is very different than it had been because the Fed up until mid-March believed inflation, inflation, inflation. So Goolsby now says, well, inflation, yeah, but we also have to take account of other things. And those other things he said, well, the data in late 2022 and early 2023 were surprisingly strong. Spending held up. Job growth was remarkable. Inflation did not come down enough. Based on these data alone, you would think the Fed would be pushing more aggressive policies, policy moves than we were a few months ago. But if you look at the summary of economic projections made by the Federal Reserve governors and Reserve Bank presidents in mid-March, the expectations of where rates are headed for the rest of this year moved only slightly from the previous projections made in December. And many private sector estimates have them going down. Not just going down, markets have rates going way down in the second half of the year, at least the second half of the year. Back to Goolsby. Of course, that's because the latest projections include an early assessment of the new big hairy elephant in the room. The fact that two significant banks failed in a high-tech version of an old-fashioned bank run and triggered broader financial market turmoil. No, that's not what's significant. That's what's significant to the Fed. That's what's significant to the mainstream. The idea that individual bank failures, as I talked about yesterday with the IMF, we look at individual bank failures as individual bank failures, when in fact those might be, and in the last 15 years they have been, symptoms of systemic issues. The types of systemic issues I started this video with. Collateral shortages, warnings about balance sheet constraints among dealers, which dealers are the money in our system. So if we're seeing monetary constraints to such a, a degree as we did the, uh, Friday and, and Monday, seeing collateral runs still more than a month after SVB, this is not a regional bank, this is not a regional bank, bank run, a high tech or whatever uh, Goolsby said it was, it's a systemic issue. That's what links together these fails, just like what linked together countrywide with Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers and Wachovia, all those back in 2008. The Fed wanted to treat those as if they were one-off isolated cases of stupid bank managers not knowing how to handle their own banking parameters. When in fact, those were symptoms, again, symptoms of systemic stress. The same kind of systemic stress we're seeing now. So Goolsby continued in Chicago saying, well, you know, I was all for rate hikes up until mid-March. Now, maybe put me down in the camp for a Fed pause. Like India, like Australia, central banks are going to be seeing the fallout from last month and they're going to be altering their policies. As they do alter their policies, it's 
it's not really about the policies. It's about them taking that step, which tells you they're no longer concerned about inflation because these other problems are much bigger, more obvious that they can't even ignore them. As Goolsby said, the foremost thing on my mind before our next meeting in May is trying to get a handle on the question about credit. Is it actually credit tightening? Well, we, as I mentioned already, the H8 data this week uh, for last week or the week before, actually, we'll have to get the updates on that. Credit absolutely was tightening in the second half of March. We saw bank credit, I mean, it's in the name, bank credit plummet by record weekly amounts two weeks in a row. And they weren't the week of after Silicon Valley Bank. It was the week, two weeks after Credit Suisse. So you have massive amounts of bank credit restrictions. We've got ongoing monetary problems. And why should we worry about inflation? Well, the reason every, all policy, the reason policymakers always give us is, of course, the tight labor market. And the tight labor market is really about, hey, the Phillips curve, we don't really do money. We don't look at the monetary system. We're trying to figure out from the economic aggregates whether the monetary system is overdoing it or underdoing it and try to piece together a picture of not just inflation, but economics considerations as they relate to money and finance too. They're always behind the curve in large part because they're always looking at the wrong thing. Now, buried within the IMF's WEO from April, as I mentioned yesterday, I didn't mention this part because it's more appropriate for today, which was a discussion about how maybe the U.S. unemployment rate is, in their own word, unnaturally low. What they're saying is that these academic, uh, ac there are many academic estimates for something called U-star, which is the natural unemployment rate, which various econometric researchers try to calculate from among a variety of economic considerations, including wages and some other things, which we don't really need to get into. But the, the majority of, in fact, all of these calculations of U star suggest that the unemployment rate or the natural unemployment rate is somewhere between, well, here's, here's what the IMF said. An unemployment rate above the level consistent with stable inflation, commonly called the natural rate of unemployment and denoted, denoted U star, would contribute to reducing inflation. But as with our star estimates, are highly uncertain. For example, recent estimates for U star in the United States range from 4, 4 to 7 percent, which is above the current unemployment rate. So policymakers at the Fed say the U star rate or the natural rate of unemployment is up here somewhere between 4 and 7 percent. But our actual unemployment rate is down here at 3.5 percent in March, the numbers we got from payrolls. So it's well below the natural rate of unemployment. That's inflationary. That's the Phillips curve. That's, that's all the stuff that we've been warning you about. And so until the unemployment rate goes back above the U star level, believing that's an actual calculate, a legitimate, accurate, uh, an accurate representation of what that might be, they need to worry more about inflation than this other stuff. That's what they're talking. But there's another, there's another consideration here too, which ties into the data we got today on the US CPI. Think about it this way. The US unemployment rate has been going lower and lower and lower since the middle of last year. And according to this framework, the, everything that they, the Federal Reserve officials have told us along the way, that's hugely inflationary. But yet since the middle of last year, 
consumer prices have decelerated tremendously, including core rates, including service rates that we'll talk about in a minute. So as the, as the unemployment rate got down to, again, the 50-year low, consumer prices did not ignite and reaccelerate. They have gone in the opposite direction. They're not falling, but they're, the second derivative is falling. They've gotten so much slower, which suggests that maybe instead of the U star calculations and the unemployment rate being out of whack, maybe just the unemployment rate is out of whack. Maybe the unemployment rate is actually much higher, consistent with what those U star calculations actually are, which that's the participation problem in a nutshell. But let's, let's, let's talk about the CPI numbers because everybody wants to talk about the CPI. Everybody wants to talk about the CPI in the context of the Federal Reserve, and they're free to do so. We're looking at the CPI numbers for confirmation that first, well, it's too early to have much of an impact from last month's monetary disruption, but at least the weak economy, we would expect to see less demand for goods, less demand for services, therefore less supply shock types of inflationary or consumer price pressures. Even I say it every once in a while. It's not inflation. So the CPI uh, for the month of March, we just got the data today, which showed that the annual rate was down to 5%. The month over month change was just 0.1%, less than expected. Um, again, showing that the trend in consumer prices is decidedly downward despite what policymakers talk about again what they talk about when they say they fear inflation isn't the current cpi or its direction they're they're again expecting that a low unemployment unemployment rate below the u star natural level will will somehow contribute to restarting inflation when as i said there's no evidence that's been the case for now what nine months Going back to last June, before last June, up until June 2022, between January and June, which is when everything was really intense, the CPI was rising at a 13.4% annual rate. Since June, over that nine months, yeah, I think that's nine months, uh, it's now rising at a 2.5% annual rate, which translates to right around, for the PCE deflator, right around where the Fed's inflation target actually is, even though the unemployment rate has fallen. It's lower now than it was last June. That's not what's driving consumer prices. That's not what's going on. That's, there's no reason to fear inflation from both the CPI as well as the unemployment. There's no correlation there, and there hasn't been. Okay, but what about the core rate? I hear everybody, yep, yeah, that's the core rate, especially services. The core rate hasn't come down nearly, it hasn't changed nearly as much as the headline CPI. And you're right. The core rate from January to June last year was rising at a 6% annual rate, way, way too high. Since June, it's improved, but only to 3.8% annual rate, so much too high. But as you know, you've been watching this channel enough, you know what I'm going to say next, which is owner's equivalent rent, shelter prices. And even the, even the BLS noted today that shelter, uh, shelter prices accounted for 60% of the March increase in the core rate. So outside the core rate or outside of shelter prices, there's not a whole lot of consumer price acceleration going on. In fact, the core rate has accounted for about 70% of the, or the shelter prices have accounted for about 70% of the core rate rise since last June. When you control for that, 
the core CPI is closer to 1%. Much different. Not only is it much different, I would call that disinflationary, as anybody who was uh, looking at these numbers honestly. But, but, okay, services prices less rent, they had been not nearly as much as not nearly as disinflationary as the rest of the CPI data up until at least this month. Because wouldn't you know it, for the month of March, core prices actually retreated very uh, fractionally in March. Nah, that's a that's not just disinflation. That's not a good sign about demand because that's what this whole CPI business is about. CPIs were driven higher by the imbalance between su supply and demand. More demand goosed by Uncle Sam than supply, restricted supply could produce and then ship. And then as demand continues to fall off and supply continues to normalize, price pressures come down. But we're more concerned about the demand falling off than supply actually normalizing, even though that's a good thing. The demand coming off is not a good thing. So what we have overall Remember, we've got swaps markets, we've got collateral, we've got bad money, really bad money still ongoing in the middle of April, more than a month after the events of SVB and Credit Suisse and everything else. Not quite a month since Credit Suisse, but certainly since SVB. Financial turmoil, now we don't see much of that. The stock market is actually going up because the stock market is perceiving the end of rate hikes, which bad money and everything else, as a good thing when as soon as the, the equity, uh, equity market participants realize that rate cuts are never a good sign, we'll see about financial turmoil at that stage. And then the final part, bad economy. The CPI itself is riddled with, riddled with evidence that demand is coming down in exactly the way you would expect with an economy that's at the very least on the verge of recession or maybe possibly into one already. We'll leave it to the NBER to actually officially date the recession. So either way, what we look at is that policymakers, rate hikes, those are whether they hike rates next month or not, doesn't really matter because everything continues to move in the direction of the 2008 style scenario. We've got it again today, all over today, collateral, swaps, everything. Uh, we've got the CPI data. We've got Austin Goolsby in Chicago saying maybe we should pause. More and more central banks are going to pause, especially as we get more and more bad money, which only raises the possibility of an even worse credit crunch than we're already observing right now. So when you put it all together, it's not looking good in any real aspect. Even financial turbulence, which that's probably down the road too. I'm Jeff. This is your Dollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University members, as well as our Eurodollar University and Markets Insider Pro Research subscribers. Until next time, take care.